Good morning. Oops. Thanks. Hey, it's good to be with all of you. None of you look any older since I've seen you at the retreat, just the kids. <laughs> but I'm grateful to be here. So thank you for the invitation to be here to be part of your series on emotions. I'm the director of ministerial health for the Pacific Southwest Conference. For those of you that don't know me, I'm a psychologist and pastor, so I would do a lot of stuff around emotions. So um, I'm grateful that you're spending this time on your emotional health and its relationship to your spiritual health. So today's sermon is about going from bitterness to peace, and I want to open with a story of a man that I know whose life was really consumed by bitterness. For a couple decades, it was really consumed by bitterness. It started actually when he was just a child. Uh, He was 11 years old when his father was brutally murdered. Um, And uh, he was murdered by a man who was actually cheating him uh, out of money. And uh, in that attack, the boy, the man, uh, was actually almost killed himself. But he didn't die. He survived. He, however, was permanently disfigured in that attack. And in the decades following, uh, he uh, was consumed with bitterness and anger towards the man who murdered his father, his beloved father. And he he didn't uh, fall in love and marry as it's normal to go through, you know, when you're in your early 20s. He didn't settle down and have a family. He was just consumed with bitterness uh, about the murder of his father. And all he could think about is what he would say to this man if he would ever find him and what he would do to this man if he would ever find him. And one day he found him. And that murderer's name was none other than Prince Humperdinck. And that man's name was Inigo Montoya. (laughs) Anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. This is Inigo Montoya. You can see the scars on his face where Prince Humperdinck as a child, um, you know, got him with his sword. And one day, Inigo Montoya came and he found the six-fingered man, um, Prince Humperdinck, and he took out his sword and he said, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And there's this battle, and he's initially wounded in the battle, right? And he, it looks like he's not going to make it. But he musters up all of the bitterness and anger and rage within him for this great sword fight. And eventually, he kills this man, right? Um, I was going to show you a video clip, but there's a little bit of profanity in it, and so I just didn't do that. But... You get the idea, right? So it's a funny image. It's a funny thing to think about. And in the story, in the movie, when we watch it, we're like, yay, he got him. But if you really stop to think about it, he lost 20 years of his life being bitter. And that bitterness led him to become a murderer. A murderer who lived life on the lamb in hiding because he'd murdered a prince, right? Now, that's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a fictitious story of bitterness, but bitterness is a pretty common experience in our lives. We see it in the Bible as well. So some examples of uh, bitterness in the Bible. Naomi, in the book of Ruth, over the course of 10 years, loses her husband and her two sons and her way of life. And she's forced to move from Moab back to uh, the land of Judah. And at that time, she says to her two daughters-in-law, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? 
She is so consumed with her losses that she is bitter towards the Lord for her um, lot in life. And she takes on this identity of bitterness. Call me Mara. The book of Job tells us the story of another man who experienced loss, and he experienced incredible loss in the course of one day. He lost seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams and oxen, 500 donkeys, all in one day. And in all of that loss, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he loses his health. And his body is afflicted with boils from head to toe. And his wife can't take it anymore because she has experienced these losses too, right? And so she says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. She is filled with bitterness. And it's not just loss that brings on the sense of bitterness within our lives. Um, it can be a whole host of things, pain caused in relationship by others, betrayal, mistreatment, um, rejection, um, the loss of um, what we had worked for, failed expectations. And then in Acts chapter 8, there's the example of Simon the sorcerer, who worked all his life to create a livelihood um, and had quite a reputation. And then the disciples came in, they began preaching Jesus Christ. People began being healed in the name of the Spirit. And Simon becomes jealous. He becomes jealous. He offers the disciples money to buy what they have. And Peter says to them that I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. There's so many things that can contribute to bitterness in our own lives. And maybe you are one who struggles with bitterness in your relationship with someone, or you know someone who struggles with bitterness. But we know that it's not the circumstances that will determine whether or not we become bitter Because even though Job's wife said, curse God and die, Job, who experienced all of the same things, said, should we only accept the good things from the hand of God and never the bad? It's not our circumstances that determine whether we will be bitter. It's our responses to our circumstances that will determine whether or not we live lives of bitterness. So today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 12 through 15, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, which says this, uh, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. This is an exhortation in the book of Hebrews to to a group of Christian, Christian believers, and even Christian leaders most likely. And the writer, the author of Hebrews, gives them this specific exhortation to say, pursue peace and watch out for that root of bitterness. There's so many things that could be said as as a word of exhortation, but specifically, he or she says, watch out for that root of bitterness. Why? Why is bitterness such a big deal? We're going to take a closer look at what bitterness is. Okay? And so first let me say that bitterness is a feeling. Right? We feel embittered towards someone. It's a painful, hurtful feeling that, with a little anger mixed in there. Right? But it's also a thought process. And bitterness comes from a sense of entitlement. I deserve better than this. 
Whatever your lot in life is, I deserve better than this. Maybe you look at the other um, relationships and you think, I deserve a better marriage than this. I deserve a better relationship with my father than this. I deserve a better job than this. I deserve a better life than this. I deserve better than this. It comes from a sense of entitlement, and it's compounded by a sense of isolation. No one understands my pain. Everyone else has it better than me. And we look at other people's relationships and thinking, why don't I have that? I'm the only one that doesn't have that. Bitterness is toxic. It destroys not only the relationship in which hurt has occurred, but it spills out into other relationships as well. And um, it colors the way that we experience people, not just the person who hurt us, but other people as well. A suspicion can creep in there as we um, think about something that just happened. And I bet that happened because she thinks whatever. Because that's the way they treat me, because whatever. It poisons our relationships. I've, um, I've seen many marriages fall apart, not because there's been infidelity or some really horrible thing. I've seen marriages fall apart because the root of bitterness has taken hold over a series of events, over a series of years, maybe decades. And it poisons not only that relationship, but it poisons the family relationships, the relationships with the kids, the relationships with the in-laws. Bitterness is toxic. And so it should come as no surprise for me to tell you that bitterness is a sin. Bitterness is a sin, and it is a root of other sin. We are um, expected as children of God to love everyone, just as God has loved us. And when we don't do that, it is an act against God, and in that respect, it is sin. So many verses about this, but one verse is 1 John 3.15, which says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Bitterness is a sin. It is a root of other sin. And as I say all this, I recognize that this is not warm, fuzzy stuff to say on a Sunday morning. That this is pretty serious stuff. It probably sounds pretty harsh and may feel really bad. And I will tell you that it feels a little bad to say this to you because likely if you are struggling with bitterness, it probably hurts to hear these things. I say that because it hurt for me to hear these things. There was a time when I struggled with a particular relationship in my life, and I was so focused on what that person had done, what that person had not done, what they had said, all of the hurtful things that had transpired in that relationship. And I was consumed with anger and bitterness towards this person. And I would pray about it, tell God all of the things that hurt me and bothered me. And one day I was just praying, just spilling out all of my hurt and pain to to God about this relationship. And it felt like the Holy Spirit, felt like God said, okay, I've hurt you, but Jean, you're bitter. And I kind of went like, well, 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 uh, okay, uh, maybe I'm bitter, but, but, but do you, I mean, like, this is what happened. And, you know, kind of went through this whole thing of like, this is what he, you know, was said, this is what wasn't said, this is what was done. You know, the whole big long thing. And again, this very quiet, like, okay, yes, right. But Jean, you are bitter. And I had to pause 
and listen, like, wait a minute, Lord, what are you saying to me about the fact that I am bitter? Is that a big deal in the context of everything else that has happened? Is that a big deal? And it was as if God had said to me, Jean, what about the possibility that this relationship is so difficult, not because of that person's fault, but because of your own bitterness? Is that possible? And I was like, oh, Lord, that can't be possible. Is that possible? It can't be possible. But that was the beginning of my really looking in the mirror and seeing what has happened to my heart in this relationship that I would become so embittered and that everything in our relationship would be so colored by my own bitterness. What has happened in my heart? And yes, that is not what's supposed to be in there, God. And so it began a process for me of coming to peace in that relationship and peace with God by recognizing my bitterness. What was so helpful to me was this passage, Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. So we can pull that up again. Uh, Hebrews 12 begins with, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. This is an image that ties this passage to an earlier passage that says, Let us run the race with, en- run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's an image of, Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I can't make it. And he's coming, Come on, shore up those knees strengthen those hands. You can do it. It's the image of a race that is being watched by spectators, the giants of the faith. So great a cloud of witnesses. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham went to a land that he did not know. By faith, Moses. By faith, David. These great cloud of witnesses, they're watching a race that I am running. And this passage, early in the passage, it points to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who endured the shame of the cross and won the race. And I'm running the same race. And I realize that all of this stuff in my relationship with this person is not just about my relationship with this person. It's actually about my discipleship. It's about how I run the race of life and faith, how I go through life. That's what this is about. And the, the um, exhortation is to shed, to throw off all of the encumbrances that would hinder my ability to run this humongous ball and chain of bitterness that is hindering my ability to run this race. I want to win this race. I do not want to be encumbered by bitterness that's dragging me down. And uh, this passage also says, you know, it's not just about my race. It's about the others who would follow and run the race with me. Verse 13 says, to make straight paths so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Meaning there's some people that are running this race who are seriously wounded, right? And I can show them the path to peace. I can make a straight path for them so that their woundedness would not cause them to you know, have the need completely buckle and they're out of the race altogether. Maybe there is someone who comes into the congregation who is freshly hurt by something. We've got to show them the way to peace, right? If they're in a context where we don't know the way to peace because we are consumed with bitterness, they will not be able to run the race well. 
And so I realized, wait, this isn't about this other person and what they haven't done and what they have done. This is about me, my race, my discipleship, and my example and what I do to help others run this race as well. And so it says, pursue peace. Pursue peace. So many verses about pursuing peace um, in the Bible. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the ones that shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5, 9. And so how do you pursue peace? How do you pursue peace when you're wrestling with bitterness? The steps are going to sound familiar to you because it's the same stuff that you've been talking about this whole sermon series. But the first step is to just name it. Confess your bitterness. Confess, yes, Lord, I recognize that I am bitter and that that is a sin. When I refuse to confess my sin, Psalm 32, 3 says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. When we, when we sit in the depths of our transgression without confession, it is a deep weight upon us. But all of the power of the resurrection all of the power of the cross, all of God's transformative power to begin life anew, to put the old self to death, all of the power of the resurrection is unleashed at the moment of confession. This passage says that uh, it was just when I began, when I said to myself, I will confess my sin that God forgave me. That's Psalm 32. I, uh, when I confessed my sin, God forgave me. And the power of the forgiveness of God, the power of the transformation that God allows through the resurrection, it's all unleashed at the moment of confession. And my confession sounded something like this. Okay, God, you're right. I'm bitter. And I know that I shouldn't be bitter. But God, I really want to continue to be bitter. <laughs> because do you know what that person did. Blah, 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 blah. And you're right. You're asking me about me. And yes, I'm bitter. And Lord, I don't want to be bitter anymore. So would you please forgive me and help me not to be bitter anymore? Confess right where you're at. Allow God to transform your heart right where you're at. And then choose to respond rather than to react. Right? When we just feel our emotions and it's a gut anger and it just, poof, makes us respond in a certain way where, our, where we're feeling our hurt and we just you know, react out of our hurt, that's not running the race well. That's stumbling along. Right? Choose to respond. Respond by praying for your enemies, it says. Matthew 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if you've ever tried to pray for your enemies, maybe your prayer goes something like this. Lord, please help that person. Please help that person to see how much they have hurt me. Lord, please help that person to know that they should never do this again. Lord, please help that person to just see how terrible they are. I prayed those kind of prayers before. I don't know about you. So let me suggest to you a four-word prayer as you pray for your enemies. Okay, Lord, Heal his brokenness. Lord, heal her brokenness. And that's it. God knows what the brokenness is, and it's their brokenness that has caused them to sin against you. It is their brokenness that has caused them to do the things that have resulted in the pain in your life, right? And so, Lord, heal his brokenness. Lord, heal her brokenness. 
Every time you are um, tempted to, to begin thinking about a particular conversation, a particular incident, something that should have happened, when you're tempted to enter into those wheels of bitterness, stop, pray the forward prayer, Lord, heal his brokenness, heal her brokenness. Every single time you're tempted toward bitterness, pray that prayer. It is amazing what God can do with that forward prayer. I will tell you myself, it has helped me in the pathway to peace so much where I'm able to simply release it to God, Lord, heal that person. Right? And in that process, God begins to heal us. Pray for your enemies and forgive them. Choose to forgive. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, how many times should I forgive? Um, seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, over and over and over and over and over and over again. Forgiveness is a choice that we make. It's not a denial of wrongdoing. It is not a license to sin. It is an extension of grace, an extension of grace that we have received that we choose to extend to someone else who does not deserve it. That is what forgiveness is. And all of the power of the resurrection is unleashed when we choose to forgive. So choose to pray for your enemies, to forgive, and then take steps to resolve conflict. A lot of times, uh, you know, bitterness can result from really huge things, you know, like murdering your father, that kind of thing. But so many times bitterness builds up within us because of a series of events, a series of things. And certainly when I work with couples with marriages where there's been a lot of estrangement and the root of bitterness, it's a series of little things that has built up. It's just working with a couple who, uh, whose marital strain, um, they've been married for 11 years. The, it's gotten bad enough, so they've actually separated for a little while. And the wife said to me, you know, there was this time when we were dating when I wanted to do this, and he said this. That was at least 12 years ago, right? But, we, but in those moments, we often don't resolve conflict. And so the hurt continues to build on each other. And I think in particular, Asians may be really bad at this. You know, we really want to help people save face. We want to save face ourselves. And so we don't resolve conflict. But what that does is it allows the pain to build up and to mushroom beyond what that small initial conversation um, could have been. um, Just that, that small little thing, right? So our part is resolving conflict and choosing to resolve conflict. And as I've encouraged people to do this, I've often heard, well, I tried to do that. I tried to talk to him. And when I did, he got so mad that I just don't talk to him anymore about it. Or I tried to talk to her and she just got so hysterical that I just don't talk to her about it anymore. I hear that a lot. And so here's a very interesting verse from Leviticus chapter 19:17. It says, do, "Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin." Listen to that again. "Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so that you will not be held guilty for their sin. Isn't that an interesting verse? 
Did it ever occur to you that we could possibly be held guilty for someone else's sin? That doesn't seem to make sense. But think about it this way. When we fail to confront someone over something that they did to hurt us, we don't give them the opportunity to change. And so their behavior is perpetuated. And in that perpetuation, we have a role and responsibility because we had the opportunity to help them to stop it. And in that regard, we do share in the perpetuation of that, that sin, right? So please don't mishear me. I'm not talking about like abuse. It's not your fault, but none of that kind of stuff. But in those small interactions, you know, this is like uh, about, it specifically says your relatives, like the people that you're close to, the people that you interact with all the time. When we fail to confront someone about something that they have done or said or didn't do, we don't give them the opportunity to change and it perpetuates their behavior. So it is up to us to resolve the conflict. If they don't respond well, if they're angry, if they get hysterical, if they don't listen, that's on them. That is their thing with God to deal with. Our responsibility, our thing with God is to have tried to resolve the conflict, to confront them directly and tried to resolve the conflict. So choose to respond rather than react and be transformed from the inside. Be transformed from the inside as you focus on yourself and not other people. Luke 6.42 reminds us that we need to get the log out of our own eye before we seek to get the speck out of someone else's eye. And And the truth of the matter is we don't have any control over another person. We only have control over ourselves. And so as we focus on ourselves and allow God to transform us, that actually does transform our relationships. Be transformed by the inside as you dedicate and surrender yourself to God. Verse 14 says, Pursue peace and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That word, sanctification, hagiasmos, um, is a word that has been used in multiple verses to refer to this, the holiness process, the, the change within us, the moral change of our becoming more holy and more Christ-like. But it's also the same word that is used for dedication and consecration. The, the, um, the process that indicates that you have been set apart by God. And so maybe that's a more helpful word for you to think of as you think of what it means to be transformed. Recognize that you have been set apart by God. So do everything to demonstrate that you have been set apart by God. Set yourself apart by God. Uh, Set yourself apart for God, right? Dedicate yourself to him. Uh, And surrender. Surrender your desires, you know, the the jealousy that has brought you to um, this point of bitterness, the wants that you have, the longings within your heart, the hurt that you have in your relationship, which is not right. The relationship is not right. It shouldn't be this way. You have a desire for something better. Surrender those things to God. They likely have been placed by God in your heart. Allow him to shape what that desire is supposed to look like and how that is supposed to unfold within your life. And as Ephesians 4 tells us, in so doing, as we dedicate and surrender ourselves to God, we put off our old selves, which belong to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and we are renewed into our new selves created after the likeness of God. So pursue that sanctification, pursue peace. And finally, 
Be transformed as you grow in grace. Verse 15 says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient for all circumstances, for all situations, for all relationships. It's not our circumstances that, depend, that, that will determine how uh, we experience life. God's grace is more than sufficient for all of the circumstances of our lives. So grow in grace. This message on uh, going from bitterness to peace is the final message in your series on emotions. And you've looked at going from stress to joy, from discontentment to contentment, disappointment to gratitude, anger to kindness, tiredness to love, anxiety and worry to hopefulness and assurance, and now today bitterness to peace. And the sermon series is not just about emotions, but it's about being transformed in your inner life. And being transformed is a long process through a series of small interactions. We like to think that transformation is going to happen in the blink of an eye, but it happens instead in the small interactions and choices in our lives, in the ways that we respond to stress and discontentment, disappointment, and bitterness. There is a um, book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life that was written by Tish Harrison Warren. And she says this, a sign hangs on the wall in the new monastic Christian community house. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. I was and remain a Christian who longs for revolution, for things to be made new and whole and in beautiful and big ways. But what I am slowly seeing is that you can't get to the revolution without learning to do the dishes. The kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life are quiet, repetitive, and ordinary. I often want to skip the boring, the daily stuff, to get to the thrill of an edgy faith. But it's in the dailiness of the Christian faith, the doing the dishes, the praying for our enemies, the reading the Bible, quiet, the small, that God's transformation takes root and grows. In those small experiences, when you're tempted towards bitterness, make the choices that, I would, that would allow God's transformation to take root in your heart. Not the root of bitterness, but God's transformation. Allow that to take root in your heart. And it is a long process And it feels a little bit like dying inside when you choose to love and choose to forgive and choose to extend grace. It feels a little like dying inside because it is. It is a death to self. It is a death to the old self. And in the process of dying to the old self, you are being made new. And so let me leave you with this word of encouragement from Hebrews chapter 10. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised for just in a little while. He who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. So therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with everyone, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have overcome this world. And Lord, we come to you today with real pains in our heart, Lord, real hurt from what we have experienced in this life that should not be, God. But we thank you so much that you have overcome these things, Lord, and that you give us the power to live in peace and not in bitterness, Lord, the power to live in joy. And so, God, I pray for each one here, myself included, Lord, that you would help us to continue to surrender ourselves to you, that you would transform us from the inside out, Lord, that we would be um, strong runners in the race of faith, God. And, Lord, we pray that we would be able to give you honor and glory on that last day, knowing that we have run the race well, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.